You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA Senior Director for Policy Communications, and joining us this week is Ethan Lane. Ethan is the Vice President of Government Affairs in NCBA's D.C. office. Ethan, thanks for joining us. Always great to be with you, Ed. All right. We are coming to you this week from the National Association of Farm Broadcasters meeting in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, so you might hear some chatter going on. They have the trade talk uh, floor open uh, today for farm broadcasters from around the country to interview uh, people from across the agriculture world. Um, I am not a farm broadcaster. I play one on this podcast occasionally. Um, but Ethan, let's just let's talk about this moment. We're, we're coming to folks from Kansas City. Back in Washington, there is, uh, I heard, uh, some impeachment hearings or something going on. Um, Yeah, nothing nothing too big, but it's definitely dominated all conversation in D.C. Yeah, and so it it comes at an interesting time. Obviously, our politics is very divided. Um, The impeachment process is a very partisan affair. Um, But maybe we call this podcast this week the, the can't we get can't we all get along podcast um, to, to invoke uh, Rodney King from a generation ago um, but it's an it's an interesting time because everybody you know knows about impeachment everybody it's dominating as you said the headlines but really in the last week or so on the policy front and and also on sort of the political front we've seen some action that's been bipartisan which is kind of noteworthy at this point in time um, we saw the, the introduction of the Real Meat Act, um, which had a Republican and a Democratic co-sponsor or, or lead sponsors. We had the Tread Act introduced, um, which deals with hours of service. And we had a letter, a bicameral, bipartisan letter on uh, avian predator flexibility. So this doesn't happen on its own, obviously. This is a strategy that NCBA has been employing. Um, talk about the need to have bipartisan consensus on the legislation that we pursue in Washington. Well, you know, it's it's easy to get sucked into the narrative on Fox News and MSNBC and CNN and, you know, that this, you know, impeachment is the only thing talk, being talked about in Washington. But the reality is, you know, when you get past that sort of Shakespearean tragedy that's, that's playing out, um, you have a lot of people that have to get reelected, that have to advance their priorities for their various trade associations. Uh, that that, that want to get something done and that don't want to be dragged down by that process on, on both sides, right? So that, in our opinion, creates a lot of opportunity to find common ground, to build some alliances, and to, to put some alternatives on the table for folks that want to talk about something other than this circus. And if you look at the numbers, if you look at you know the election cycle, and here we sit inside of one year from election day, you have a lot of members of Congress that fall into that category of you know, purple districts, changing districts, evolving demographics that, that need to be able to go home to their constituents and say, look at the work I'm doing that actually affects your job, that actually affects the economics in your backyard. And what we've seen, I was just having this conversation a few minutes ago um, with some of our leadership that's here uh, at, at the NFB convention is, you know, members that forgot that have been sent home. And, and I, you know, I'm hopeful that this new crop has learned that lesson. You know, you don't get to be a national political figure representing, you know, the first district of Utah or, or, or the second district of Kansas or anything else. You need to make sure you're paying attention to what your constituents want. And, and we're trying to offer them that, you know, the, the, whether it's the Fake Meat Act, whether the Real Meat Act, whether it's the Tread Act, 
whether it's that avian predator letter, it's, it's responding to what they're hearing from their constituents. And often that's the role we play, right? They come to us and say, hey, we've had 100 producers call us and, and say that they're, you know, their calves are being predated by black vultures. What can you do to help? Well, here's a suite of options that are available that you know, we can work together on. And that's the role we play in Washington. And, and you know, ideally, we stay out of that food fight and we focus on those issues and give them an alternative to, to, that, to that mess. Okay, so put on your pundit hat a little bit here. Um, how, how can we get this legislation across the finish line? Will it, does it have to go like sort of the schoolhouse rock, you know, House votes on it, Senate votes on it, President signs it as a standalone piece of legislation, or is this something, or these things that we can get into appropriations bills or an omnibus budget bill or something like that? So I think the prospects of any real substantive appropriations package, rather than as opposed to a CR, are getting dimmer by the day. Um, I, I think that this impeachment is going gonna, is gonna to sort of throw a blanket over a lot, right? But they still have to keep the government open. Spending authority runs out next week, November 21st. Um, they're going to have to do something by then, most likely a CR. How long that CR is remains to be seen. You know, do they go 30 days? Do they punt into next spring? Do they do something longer than that? How much is you know, Speaker Pelosi's appetite to pursue this impeachment deal? And how far is she willing to push it? you know, as far as the election cycle that's that's coming up. Um, those are all those are all things we're gonna have to weigh, but what we know about this kind of an election cycle is at a certain point before it's pencils down, these members are gonna to wanna to be able to book some votes that they can go home and tell their, their constituents that they've engaged in. That's that's where we can make some progress. Standalone bills almost don't exist anymore in Washington, right? You introduce them and you socialize them so that they can be used as part of a larger piece of legislation. Um, so whether that's a transportation and infrastructure bill, whether that's you know some other some other process, uh, whether that's a reauthorization of um, you know of a, of a program, those all provide opportunities for us to um, put our priorities in the mix and and get something accomplished. And that's really the goal there, right? Yeah, you always look at appropriations. But quite frankly, that process has evolved in the last few years. We've seen current leadership in the appropriations space really step away from making policy there, which is what they're supposed to do, right, is avoid policy. But for the last however many years, that's been kind of the policy tool of last resort because nothing else was moving. So hopefully, you know, we're moving away from that and we're getting back to a process where we can actually debate bills, mark them up, move them through committee, and, and, and get, something, uh, you know, get something done into the president's desk. Um, our strategy is to build bipartisan support, have those bills available as tools, and then look for opportunities to, to, to move them. Right, and so in a, in a similar vein, you also wrote uh, an op-ed this week called, and the headline was, Why Sustainability? Question mark. Um, and you talked a little bit about why we need to be involved in a sustainability conversation. And part of that is engaging with groups that may not be our traditional allies. And the one that you mentioned in, in the column was the World Wildlife Fund, WWF. And it's generated some conversation online. So just like Republicans and Democrats on the Hill need to work together better and playing in the sandbox nicely with others. Um, Talk about the importance of engaging non-traditional allies like WWF and the environmental community on the, on the sustainability conversation. Well, I mean, anybody who knows me knows that I've probably been a bigger vocal, you know, uh, not opponent, but but skeptic on, on our engagement in these issues inside the industry, inside NCBA. Um, I, you know, and it's not that I'm opposed to talking about it. It's that I do think it's a conversation that's, that's difficult to have without, you know, I, I, I worrying about protecting our interests in it. But... You know, the only thing that scares me more 
then engaging with these groups is not engaging with these groups. Because what's abundantly clear is with their funding and their audiences, they're going to continue to have a conversation about how we produce our product and how we sell it, whether we're sitting there talking about it with them or not. And, and once you come to terms with that basic fact, that the World Wildlife Fund and, and um, you know, and the Nature Conservancy and, and the various retailers that are sort of searching for that sustainability message for their consumers, they're moving. And, and either, either we are part of that conversation, and I hate to say, you know, we all talk about you're either at the table or you're on the menu, but it's an unavoidable part of this conversation, right? Is we better be there and we better be representing our interests. And that doesn't mean capitulation, that means drawing a line and saying this is where we need to be to protect our producers. This is the story that, that, that we, make, we want to make sure is being told. And you know, as I was just saying to, to one, of the, one of the broadcasters that came by the booth here, um, we have a really important story to tell. We're producing some of the best beef in the world. We're producing the highest quality beef we've ever produced and we're doing it with the lowest environmental footprint in the world. We are walking the walk and we have, we have a really great story to show, but we have got to have engagement from those partners through the value chain and in the NGO community to start telling that story. If it's just us telling the story, it's not going to resonate. Yeah, and like I said, we got some blowback. You got some blowback in response to the op-ed. People are saying, oh, you guys are in bed with WWF and like the, the, the radical environmental movement. Um, but you tweeted in response an article that WWF had published on their own website. Talk a little bit about that article and how you know, it, it came as a result of us engaging with them. Yeah, there's an article talking about how grazing is the, is the solution for managing landscapes in the northern Great Plains. I mean, you know, a, a few years ago, that would have been unheard of coming from from, from World Wildlife Fund. And, and you know, it's still, it's kind of like, oh man, that's, that's fantastic, it's great to see. And you know, I can read that article and I can still find three or four points where I say, well, that's not, not I don't like that, you know, and that's not what I would say. But, but it's, you gotta consider the source and you gotta consider the audience that they're, that they're pitching that to. And that audience, by and large, is coming into the conversation with a mindset that no grazing is the only answer. So just starting to socialize them on the idea that, hey, you can't do any of this without grazing. You can't do any of this without the management that cattle producers are providing in these landscapes. And having that come not from me as the Vice President of Government Affairs at NCBA, not from you as the you know, Senior Director of Communications, but from you know, the, the environmental community saying, hey, forget what we told you two years ago, listen to what we're saying now, there's a real opportunity here. That's a critical piece of the conversation. And yes, there is a lot of blowback and, and it's interesting because it's been very blunt. Don't talk to anybody. Bury your head in the sand. No negotiating. And, and that's a position we often see from the radical left. It's a position we often see from these really radical bomb throwing groups that we're not talking to, <coughs> that don't want to talk to us. And that's just not a productive path forward. And I, I mean, as I said, you know, I, I think anybody in this conversation in the industry knows I've been as skeptical as anybody, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to talk to those detractors and help them understand why this isn't a conversation we're allowed to take a pass on. All right, sounds good. Uh, listeners will be happy to know we will not end this podcast with the singing of Kumbaya, but we are going to try to work together where we can um, with Republicans and Democrats and, and you know, open-minded folks in, in the environmental movement. So, Ethan, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at policy.ncba.org and follow us on Twitter at, at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.